Welcome to the Tax Factor, the top 20 business and investment podcast from Blick Rothenberg, the tax, accounting and business advisory firm. This week with Rahana Earl and Ellie Theachari. I'm Rahana Earl. And I'm Ellie Theachari. And welcome to The Tax Factor, the top 20 business and investment podcast that keeps you up to date on all the latest tax news. This week, we will be talking about loose women going on strike, a 100 million, yes, 100 million pound fraud and HMRC's tax avoidance strategy. Ellie, last time you were on with Matt, you were discussing the upcoming 31 January self-assessment deadline. I know uh, colleagues in personal tax were working very hard, including those in my team, and couldn't wait for February the 1st to roll around. Did you get your tax return filed on time? I was indeed, and my tax return is safely filed with HMRC. We now also know that a record-breaking 11.5 million taxpayers submitted their self-assessment tax returns by midnight on the 31st of January, with just shy of 33,000 of those submitted between 11pm and 11.50. 9pm. So last minute ones there. It's slightly less good news. HMRC confirmed that over 605,000 taxpayers missed the deadline, which is over double the amount that missed the deadline last January. For those not aware, anyone who files late will be given a £100 automatic penalty. And it's estimated that with the ongoing penalties and interest of over 7%, the Treasury could be looking at around £100 million in fines alone. On a previous podcast in December, we had mentioned that HMRC would only allow what they called priority callers and the digitally excluded to speak with tax advisors on the phone. The move is part of the tax office's plan to move taxpayers onto its digital services and away from phone lines. With all of these changes, HMRC had actually been put under some pressure to extend the self-assessment deadline because taxpayers were complaining of 40-minute wait times. But unfortunately, that was not listened to. So it'll be interesting to see how many submissions took place on the 1st of February. But enough of personal tax. I saw recently that HMRC has caused quite a stir with two of the biggest stars of Loose Women of all places. Yes. So I don't know if you're a fan of Loose Women or not. I guess we're all kind of working when it's on but for those that do watch it Jane Moore and Janet Street Porter have told their ITV bosses that they won't join the panel and they will go on strike after they were ordered to sign contracts saying that they were Herman and ITV employees rather than freelance journalists. This row involves ITV's pay-as-you-earn-only contracts policy and this is in response to HMRC's so-called off-payroll working rules and after tax authorities said that the TV presenters should not be able to use a corporate veil in quotes to claim to not be staff. So this is really kind of an an ongoing issue, really. And we've seen others in the past, quite famous kind of presenters being caught by these rules. Kay Adams was another Loose Women star. And she said that she felt utterly beaten up and gaslit. So some quite strong words there. After winning a 10-year battle in court with HMRC over IR35 rules. She even compared the hostile treatment by the taxman with how the post office were treating their sub-postmasters in the Horizon computer scandal. Lorraine Kelly is another one who famously won a battle against HMRC. But this does call into question, really, you know, how these presenters will continue to work with employers moving forward. And the fact that there surely has got to be reform of these rules because there is no clarity for taxpayers. And I think that is really what people are looking for. And it doesn't just apply to people like these kind of famous presenters. I think it's impacting many who work in this kind of environment. And in fact, Angela Rayner. Labour MP recently said that should the Labour Party form a government, they would end what they call bogus self-employment. You know, again, a tricky situation because contractors have been a key part of the UK economic model for the last 30 to 40 years, and they will continue to be so. And the facts of each situation when it comes to a contractor do need to be carefully considered, taking into account a number of things. Every factor and every situation is different. There are also labour law considerations where a 
arrangements, including things like paid leave and employer pensions, etc., need to be taken into account in, in the decision. So as we said, it remains a really complex area of tax legislation and employers who are using contractors and in fact in contractors themselves should really ensure that they seek the right advice from the right professionals. So we're going to stay with labour politics and labour politicians because they've been quite uh, full on in the press recently as we get into the run up to the election, which, as we know, Ellie, uh, has to be called by the end of January 2025 at the latest. So the next Labour politician that we're going to be talking about is Rachel Reeves. And she said that the Labour government aren't going to increase the 25% corporation tax rate if they are voted in. Ellie, can you give us a bit more flavour to what Rachel Reeves has been saying to businesses in this regard? Absolutely. So Rachel Reeves recently um, attended an event in London, which had over 400 city and industrial leaders. And she made it clear that if Labour were to form a government, they would cap the 25% headline rate of corporation tax for the next parliament, because she was saying that actually over the past, you know, however long that the Conservatives have been in power, there have been over 26 changes to the corporation tax rate, and that tax rates simply cannot continue to yo-yo if we want businesses to invest in Britain. She also said that the rate is the lowest in the G7, and that the 25% rate actually strikes the right balance between meeting public finance commitments and the demands of a competitive global economy. She was actually quoted as saying, the next Labour government will make pro-business and pro-growth choices. And should our competitiveness come under threat, if necessary, we will act. So presumably, they are looking to be in line with what businesses want. In a further bid to put the city at ease, Reeves has also confirmed that she has no intention to put back the cap on bankers' bonuses, and that as Chancellor of the Exchequer, she wants to, I quote, be a champion of successful and thriving UK financial services industry so the bankers will be able to afford a meal again. <laughs> Good news for them. But in all honesty, kind of, you know, those reassurances have, have no doubt been welcomed by the city. But as election campaigning heats up, I think we will be reporting back in future episodes what further reassurances will be coming from a proposed Labour government and what promises are going to be made on both sides. We don't have the next budget until the 6th of March. That's actually not that far away. So we're going to have to wait to see what Chancellor Jeremy Hunt plans to implement ahead of the election. I'm sure there's going to be some very interesting stuff coming out then. But enough of election chat for now. And we're going to turn to a topic, Ellie, that I know is close to your heart. Did I read correctly that over 1 billion was lost through the research and development SME relief alone in 2021 through errors and fraud? That's right. So a damning report came out the other day that allegedly over a billion pounds has been lost out of R&D tax relief alone, which was almost a quarter of the 4.8 billion spent on the tax break in total. So although it does represent a huge portion, it is quite difficult to sometimes quantify those true figures as these can be skewed depending on how you're defining error and you know, the data set that you are using. So this report came from the National Audit Office, who have called on HMRC to build on the improvements they have made so far in administering tax reliefs and make a step change in how they assess whether tax reliefs achieve their economic objectives. This was in light of the fact that the Treasury and HMRC only had a budget of around £600,000 to review those reliefs in the last year. So they're trying to figure out, is that value for money and are we actually spending money in the right places? The head of the National Audit Office said, tax reliefs are an important policy tool for government, but their number and cost makes administration a significant task and therefore they should carry out significant evaluation. Those of us in the industry definitely welcome any measures to tackle fraud and error, but we do need to be very careful that genuine claims aren't being caught in the crossfire and that any measures put in place are both consistent with HMRC's charter, but also being implemented 
by experienced caseworkers. Alongside the R&D regime, I did see that the House of Lords Economic Affairs Committee wants to review its strategy against tax fraud more generally. Did you see that as well? I did, yeah. And it's, uh, again, a really interesting one to see kind of where HMRC is going to go with this, right? To set a bit more kind of context around what has been said, HMRC is set to be given some more powers to deal with tax avoidance scheme promoters. And the draft bill was really interesting to read. Firstly, HMRC are going to be granted more power to apply straight to court to disqualify directors for persisting in promoting these types of schemes. It also dealt with concerns over how to deal with offshore promoters that aren't recognised under UK treaty and therefore would be difficult to extradite in any circumstances. Secondly, um, the maximum sentence for tax fraud is set to be doubled from seven to 14 years. And although Lord Hurley is quoted as saying the subcommittee is sceptical about whether increasing the maximum prison term is the most effective deterrent against tax fraud, I think these measures are really going to be considered in the future. And tax avoidance schemes have actually kind of come back into light in the press recently uh, after some kind of high profile cases, in particular, one millionaire businessman of a high profile individual has been alleged to be linked to a series of tax avoidance companies that may have submitted misleading documents to HMRC. As we all know, there's some quite complicated rules that sit behind how these types of schemes work, but the schemes can often be targeted at vulnerable taxpayers, and many taxpayers have entered into schemes in good faith, genuinely believing that they were effective based on the marketing that they've seen and the information that they've been provided with by experts or so-called experts. You know, whilst I think collecting the taxes that would have been due from these bad avoidance schemes is really reasonable and we would expect HMRC to do that. I think as stated by my colleague Matt Crawford in a recent article that he wrote for The Independent, HMRC's attitude to penalties can be really harsh uh, and actually quite unrealistic when it comes to people who have been caught by these schemes and actually have limited means to pay these penalties. So what we need to do really is to protect vulnerable taxpayers who are often the ones left picking up these kind of large bills whilst the promoters of schemes aren't actually being held to account. So I think what many would welcome is actually legislation that puts in action against those who continue to push tax planning products that really are at best uncertain, and this is to quote Matt, and are at worst just not correct. Exactly, and that also feeds into other comments that were made by the committee about, you know, these types of strategies that they're implementing and how these can be very punitive against those, as, as Matt kind of said, those with often limited means. And the subcommittee has said to HMRC and the Treasury that they need to use existing data much more accurately rather than trying to gather data independently and you know give these punitive penalties against people. So the subcommittee did raise some really good points, but now onto uh, a story of fraud caught in actions. Ellie, tell me about this £100 million fraud. It's quite the story. So six people, two of which are British, have been charged in a fraud which could exceed 1.1 billion Danish crowns, which is approximately £126 million in what's called uh, CumEx fraud. I had to do some research myself as I hadn't come across these before. But essentially, these schemes involve trading shares rapidly around a syndicate of banks to exploit the tax system in countries such as Denmark, Germany and Belgium. From here, these syndicates could exploit a loophole on dividend payments that enable a number of parties to claim the same tax refund, even though no tax had been paid. Some people call it dividend stripping because what happens is they sell that dividend to each other throughout the course of a single day and then they never pay the tax, but they've got the tax back. 
So the Danish Customs and Tax Administration, basically their version of HMRC, have alleged that these fraudulent applications for tax returns were submitted leading to tax repayments even as early as 2008, but it's kind of all coming to light now. So this month, Pacific British hedge fund manager who was accused of being the central mastermind behind one of these schemes was jailed for six years and has been charged with defrauding the authorities to the tune of around 37 million. Gosh, yeah. So we're talking about some unbelievable amounts of money there, but it's really good to see that this type of fraud is being cracked down upon. A little bit of a blast from the past, but in similar vein, a director of a non-existent courier business from London has been sentenced to a two-year prison sentence after using a £50,000 COVID bounce-back loan for his own personal use. He'd actually claimed that the Shisha Cafe and courier business, which was called Kangaroo Courier Services Limited, were set up in November of 2019, but actually the business had never traded and therefore was never eligible for a COVID-related loan. So after receiving the loan, can you believe it, the director withdrew £19,000 in the first week and then spent the remainder between September and February the following year. And now he has to pay back the loan in full and will not be allowed to be a director of a business without applying to a court. And as we know, and we've heard from the Labour, future Labour government, I should say, they have promised to crack down on COVID fraud that has happened going forward. That's part of what they think will create some additional revenue in the Treasury's pocket. I would suspect that we'll see these types of cases being looked at going forward if they get into power. Yeah, so to round up on you, of the week. Hopefully everyone is enjoying the extra bit of change in their pockets resulting from the 2% reduction in employees' national insurance. The change was actually announced in the November autumn statement and came into effect on the 6th of January, and which actually represents the first tax cut for employees since April 21 and will save a salaried worker on £35,400, around £450, with higher rate taxpayers saving around £750 a year. Those who are self-employed will feel the benefits in April when an abolition of Class 2 NIC and a 1% reduction in the rate of Class 4 or NIC from 9% to 8% will save a self-employed worker on £28,200 a year, around £350 in 24-25. That is good news to end on indeed, Ellie. That's about all we have time for this week, but I've just got a little bit of time to mention that Blick Rothenberg has just launched its updated interactive tax planning guide. In the guide, we cover lots of tax tips and actions that all taxpayers should consider in advance of the tax year end. And it covers a range of areas, including income tax, property, tax efficient investments, pensions, inheritance tax, just to name a few. It's free and well worth a read. You can find it on the Blick Rothenberg website and follow the link on the homepage. And whilst we're promoting things, we should mention our sister podcast, Brave Business, the podcast for entrepreneurs, is now officially one of the UK's top business podcasts. The series is number one in the UK investing chart and number two in the business chart. Hosted by journalist and broadcaster Declan Curry, the series focuses on providing practical guidance, timely insights, and professional opinions from our industry experts and guests with lived experience helping entrepreneurs make informed business decisions. It's covered a range of topics and is well worth seeking out and having a listen. Next week, Matt Crawford and Rob Goodley are hosting The Tax Factor. So thanks to Ellie Theachari for joining me today. I'm Rohana Earl. Thanks for listening and we hope you enjoyed this episode. That's the Tax Factor. We'd like to thank you for making us one of the UK's top 20 podcasts. Find all our previous episodes wherever you get your podcasts and join us again next time on the Tax Factor. Tax Factor.